Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode 211, and I'm your host, Perry Romanowski. And today is just a beauty brain show, as there's only one of us. It's a solo show. Valerie is a bit under the weather. Since this is a solo show, I'm going to mix it up a bit, and I'm just going to focus on one topic and answer a few questions that we got that's related to that. These include, first, are there different grades of vitamin C, since the prices vary so much for the same thing? Two, what is your opinion of the effectiveness of a waterless vitamin C product? And three, does vitamin C really do anything for your skin? I also added an audio question about whether open mouth jars are bad for active ingredients. But before we get into that, let me apologize for not posting a show. Last week, I just got back from a vacation in the Caribbean, the lovely Turks and Caicos Islands and... I wasn't able to get a show recorded and put up in time. But I will say that I am proud that despite hours of sitting in the sun, I did not get any significant sunburn. My strategy of using the SPF 50 and then covering most of my skin in a towel and staying in the shade turned out to be pretty effective. This did prompt me to ponder the notion of the SPF of fabrics, though, and that kind of took me down a bit of a rabbit hole on the subjects. Perhaps we'll cover that in a future show. There seems to be a lot of marketing hype with little supporting science on the subject. And Actually, I, I posted on Instagram about it, and someone even claimed that cotton t-shirts provided no UV protection. Of course, if that were true, you know, I would never get that farmer's tan where my arms get really brown and my torso stays pretty light. So clearly t-shirts do provide some UV protection. I'm just not really sure how much. Anyway, while my sunburn avoidance strategy was effective, my bug biting strategy was not quite as good. I kind of forgot that when I go to the beach in the Caribbean or on the east coast of the United States, I get these bites from these little invisible bugs. I, I have no idea what they are. I think they're sand fleas or something like that, but not right now. I have over like 100 welts all over my legs and arms from these bug bites. And the thing is, you don't even feel them when they're biting you. So it's, it's, it's not like mosquitoes when they're flying around and you feel it right away. These things, I wake up the next morning and I just have welts all over my body and they itch really bad too. Now, a little tip for you, uh, remember to pack some DEET the next time you go to the beach. I wonder how many p people suffer from these invisible bug bites like me. Because it's funny, my wife and I go to the same places, the same beaches, and she didn't get bit by any of them. I, it's just baffling to me. I, I guess the bugs just like me. All right, let's move on to the main show topic, vitamin C. Now, Randy and I covered the topic way back in episode 31 pretty thoroughly, but I thought it was time that we could revisit it, and we had a few questions about vitamin C. This is an ingredient that gets lots of positive press. A look through Google Trends actually finds that 
it's been steadily gaining interest over the last 10 years. Right now, it's about the same level of interest in Google searches as uh, CBD for skincare. So, you know, we'll save a, a look at CBD for another show, but let's take a look at vitamin C in this show. Vitamin C is a chemical called ascorbic acid, and it has a wide variety of functions in our bodies, but most notably as an antioxidant. It is not naturally produced in our bodies, so we actually need to get it from our diet. Fortunately, a lot of foods that we eat, either they have vitamin C in them naturally, or we fortify them, uh, the vitamin C, into our products like, you know, breakfast cereals or something like that. Vitamin C is known to play a role in collagen production in the skin. Additionally, when topically applied, it's thought to help heal acne, increase the skin barrier function, which reduces moisture loss, it helps to protect from UV radiation, and prevents and lightens age spots. So, it sounds like a great ingredient, really, which is why you see it in a lot of skincare products, and it's raved about on beauty blogs, of course. That's the effect of marketing. Of course, there is a downside to vitamin C. It's an antioxidant that's highly reactive with oxygen in the air and water, so it's difficult to deliver vitamin C to your skin in a way that is stable, effective, and non-irritating. For this reason, raw material companies have actually come out with a bunch of different forms of vitamin C. They modify the basic ascorbic acid structure in the hopes of making it more stable, but still delivering some of the benefits. Now, let's talk about whether this is successful or not. First, the types of vitamin C that you'll find out there, there are a bunch, um, ascorbic acid, and more specifically, L-ascorbic acid. The L actually just refers to the handedness of the molecule. This has to do with uh, chirality and where specific atoms are located on the molecule, but suffice it to say, L-ascorbic acid is the more active version, and it works uh, better on skin than D-ascorbic acid, uh, which is the, uh, the less reactive version. Other types of vitamin C that you might see in cosmetic products, uh, uh, sodium ascorbyl phosphate, magnesium ascorbyl phosphate, ascorbyl 6-palmitate, ascorbyl tetraisopalmitate, ascorbyl glucoside, and dehydroascorbic acid. Now, the ingredient that is biologically active is ascorbic acid. Those other ones are just derivatives, and the idea when you're making a derivative one is you want to uh, make it... Uh, so see, ascorbic acid is uh, water-soluble. That means it can react when it's in water and the pH is wrong. And so the idea is if you take ascorbic acid and you make it more oil-soluble, it'll be less reactive and it'll get into the skin better. That's the idea. Um, another thing is that for ascorbic acid to work, the pH has to be pretty low. And so if you make a derivative uh, that's a stabilized version, the pH could be higher. And so it's not going to be as irritating on the skin. Now, like I said, the ingredient that is biologically active is the ascorbic acid. So these other versions, they need to penetrate the skin and then get converted to ascorbic acid to be effective. Well, in a study published in Dermatologic Surgery back in 2001, looking at this exact question, none of the derivatives significantly converted to L-ascorbic acid when they were in the skin. Now, there is some evidence that these 
things might convert to ascorbic acid, but the evidence is pretty weak and not demonstrated uh, in the skin to do this. So while they might be more stable in the formula and they might penetrate better, they probably actually aren't working. At least they're not working the way ascorbic acid works. Now let's talk about ascorbic acid. Most importantly, in a formula, if it's going to work, it has to be stable, which means it has to chemically exist as ascorbic acid in the formula, and it has to penetrate the skin to get to the dermis, which is where the activity of this ingredient would happen. So is it stable? Well, the researchers have found that it is stable in aqueous formulas with a pH of 3.5 or less. And, of course, it's also stable in waterless or anhydrous systems. So if your product has a pH higher than 3.5, you're not going to be getting any working vitamin C. Unless, of course, uh, the product's waterless. Now, based on the available research, ascorbic acid actually is the gold standard for vitamin C uh, compounds. Uh, For it to do anything significant, it needs to be included in the formulation in a concentration higher than 8%. At least that's what the studies have shown. Now, studies have also shown that above 20%, there isn't much more biological significantly active. So it looks like the sweet spot for vitamin C in a formula is somewhere between 10 and 20%. Now, effectiveness, of course, is going to vary based on the formulation, but that's a pretty good sense. Now, I'll give our usual disclaimer about these types of cosmeceutical ingredients. If this ingredient was actually working as claimed, you know, affecting collagen synthesis, being anti-acne, reducing UV damage, it would technically be an illegal drug, in the U.S. anyway. Cosmetics are not allowed to do these things. But if companies don't make specific drug claims, the FDA usually doesn't go after them, at least at the moment. So some things to consider when looking at products that advertise that they use vitamin C. Uh, First, you should look for something that uses ascorbic acid. As I said, uh, it's the ingredient that works. The, The other derivatives really haven't been proven to work. So look for ascorbic acid on the ingredient list. Next, look for products that use uh, ascorbic acid in levels between 10 and 20%. Now, most companies don't tell you how much they use, but when they do, assuming they aren't lying, that's what you should look for. Under 10%, it probably not going to do much, and over 20%, that's just overkill and... using that much extra could actually lead to more irritation. Another tip is to look for waterless products because they're probably going to be more effective. Ascorbic acid can begin to oxidize, which, you know, causes it to be used up uh, whenever it's put into water. Uh, So look for products where water is not one of the first ingredients. That gives you a better chance of finding a product that might actually work. Also, if you're uh, getting a water-based product, look for something that has a low pH. As I said, uh, ascorbic acid is unstable above pH 3.5 or so, so you need to look for low pH products. Of course, pH is only meaningful if water is present, so it's less of an issue in these kinds of water-free formulas. Uh, However, the other thing is companies generally don't tell you what the pH of their product is, so this might be a little challenging for you. 
Finally, you also want to consider the type of packaging that it comes in. Any vitamin C formula must be properly packaged to protect it from excess light and air. So pump packaging is probably better, and you should avoid things like uh, clear jars or bottles uh, because that actually the light can actually degrade the ingredients. So look for brown glass containers. All right, let's now we have that base of vitamin C information. Let's move on to some specific questions that you had about vitamin C. The first question comes to us from May. She asks, from Kiehl's to Clinique to the ordinary, is there a different grades of vitamin C or ascorbic acid since the price varies so much for the same thing. I understand that vitamin C serums contain other actives, thus making it more expensive. Ignoring that, though, is there a difference in the ascorbic acid that these brands use? For example, I think mineral oil comes in different grades, for example, the cosmetic grade and the pharmaceutical grade. Well, thanks for the question. It's a little bit challenging to answer. Now, for the most part, no, there isn't a difference in the ascorbic acid that everybody uses. Everyone has access to the same ascorbic acid sources. Now, there may be encapsulated versions, which might be more stable, but, you know, everyone can get access to that. Uh, there, there aren't a lot of patents in this area that are significantly inhibiting the use of uh, ascorbic acid in your formulas. There really also isn't a more expensive version or a pharmaceutical quality version. You know, they're all really the same. Now, a company might get a blended version, which is a mixture of both the L-ascorbic and the D-ascorbic acids. But the cost savings that you're going to get using that ingredient is it's not really there. Well, I, I just don't think that using that would be an effective strategy. Now, maybe some smaller brands might follow that route, but bigger companies that want to claim L-ascorbic acid are going to use just L-ascorbic acid. Um, and there's really, for you as a consumer, there really is not going to be any difference in the quality of ascorbic acid that companies use. Now, incidentally, uh, you mentioned mineral oil. The mineral oil used in cosmetics does not come in different grades. The mineral oil used to make cosmetics is the same stuff they use to make pharmaceuticals. There is no difference between pharmaceutical grade and cosmetic grade. This is just made-up marketing stories. In fact, whenever you see a skincare or a salon brand claiming they have some sort of pharmaceutical grade or salon grade ingredients, they're just trying to blind you with marketing. Those things don't really exist in any meaningful way. However, having said all of that, there may actually be some difference in the effectiveness of the vitamin C products because there are three different formulation strategies that any company might follow. First, and this is the most common, there is the Wuffle Dust method, which I call it. This is a method of formulating where you take a, a good formula, you know, people who use it, they like the aesthetics, and then you put a drop of some hero ingredient in and that's what you talk about in your marketing. You get all the benefits of the marketing ingredient, and consumers are really good at noticing like differences and improvements that are subtle. So when you just use a wuffle dust strategy using a drop of an ingredient, and you could talk about it in your marketing, 
that will help to maximize your profits. And this certainly happens with vitamin C products. If you don't see a percentage of the ingredient listed on the formula, it's probably not there in a very high level. Now, the second formulation method is done by companies who are trying to use effective levels of an ingredient. They follow you know, what's published research says about ingredients, and then they use those levels in the formulas. The problem is that an ingredient like ascorbic acid, as we talked about, is not particularly stable. So even if they're put in the proper amount, you know, 10 to 20 percent in your formula, it might break down while it's after it's made in production and it's sitting on shelves and it's shipped to stores and a consumer gets it. It might break down by the time you ever get to put it on your skin. Um, so in the end products like this don't really work much better than formulas where they just put a drop in and they're just talking about it. Now, the third method is done by companies who really want to ensure that their product performs. They pretty much do the same thing as a company who follow the second method where they uh, go out and, and they get the levels that have been clinically tested of an ingredient and they use that amount, but they go the extra step of trying to stabilize uh, their ascorbic acid in the formula. This means making, say, an anhydrous formula or using some sort of special delivery system or keeping the pH really low or coupling it with some other ingredient that helps to stabilize it. Now, I'm skeptical that a lot of these efforts will lead to a product that performs in a way that you as a consumer is are going to notice, but at least companies like this are trying. So if there is a product that's going to work, they're going to follow this third method of formulating where they try to provide you the right level in a stabilized formula. The problem is that you don't really have a way of knowing who follows which formulating strategy. Presumably companies that charge more or trying harder to stabilize formulas, but these are usually small companies who don't have access to any special technology or it costs so much. You know, most often that these smaller companies are going to have contract manufacturers who make their products. They say, I want a vitamin C formula, and the contract manufacturer says, well, here's your formula. <laughs> now, I would say that products from big companies are the ones that would be using the most advanced technology and stabilizing technologies. If any product has a chance to be delivering a benefit, it's going to be from a bigger company. I'm still skeptical, you'll notice, but if you're looking to give yourself the best chance, stick with products from big companies. Now, this question ties nicely in with our next question. So that comes from Catherine. Catherine says, I listened to your most recent podcast, and I was wondering what your opinion is on the effectiveness of these two waterless vitamin C products from The Ordinary. And then she goes on and lists them. There's a vitamin C suspension, 23%, plus hyaluronic acid spheres at 2%, and then there's a vitamin C suspension, 30% in silicones. Well, I think that if the products are waterless, you do have a better chance of them being effective, at least the vitamin C part anyway. You know, the vitamin C products that are made with water, um, as we said, they have to have really low pH and they tend to break down anyway. But as we've also seen, beyond 20% vitamin C, there's 
really no extra benefits. So I'm not really sure why they're picking 23% and 30% in their products. Now, whether you notice any difference in using these products, that's debatable. Also, these products may not give you that good moisturizing feel that you're going to get with other water-based products. I suspect that these formulas are going to feel a bit greasy or they're not going to feel like they go into your skin right away. But, you know, that might not bother you. I looked at a paper about topical treatments using vitamin C published in Experimental Dermatology back in 2003. And in this study, they used only 5% of vitamin C versus a placebo. Now, it was a double-blind study, and some aspects were good. But even if we assume that the study they did was done perfectly, the results to me were pretty underwhelming. And it's not something that I think consumers are really going to even notice. After six months of using the product, there was a one point difference in the overall evaluation of skin on a 17 point scale. To give you an idea, the 5% vitamin C product scored a low 4.4, while the placebo scored a low of 5.3. Uh, the lower the number is, the better the skin. So uh, with while the results are statistically significant, are you going to no- really notice a one-point difference on a 17-point scale when it comes to your skin? Uh, I, I don't know. Y- you really have to think these things through. Um, companies and research groups want to show statistically significant data, But just because something is mathematically significant, that doesn't mean that it's some kind of meaningful difference. Uh, Mathematical significance, it works well for advertising, but as far as you as a consumer using the products and putting them on, are you going to notice any difference because of the vitamin C? Probably not. not. Not based on the research that's out there anyway. All right, another vitamin C question. This one comes to us from Ashley. She says... When using vitamin C, does it actually affect the skin in a positive way? The claim is that it lightens, tightens, and brightens the skin. Typically, products start at 8% vitamin and then go up to 20%. And then after getting up to 20%, you're supposed to start back at 8% because your skin will get used to it. So how does any of this work? Well, as I discussed in the earlier portion of the show, the 8% is the minimum level that has shown to have you know some effect. Um, I although you know we've seen that even five percent you can show a, a minimal effect, but eight percent is really what experts have kind of a, a settled on with a reasonable amount, and twenty percent is the maximum. So that must be where this company is getting those suggestions. The suggestion to switch up. The way, so your skin gets used to the lowest levels and then the highest levels, well, uh, that might minimize irritation. The, the whole notion of using your products this way, it sounds pretty gimmicky to me. But on the other hand, at least it's based on some kind of logic. There's scant evidence supporting that doing this is an effective strategy. Now, as far as whether the products can work, will it lighten the skin? You know, there is a study comparing 5% ascorbic acid to 4% hydroquinone. The hydroquinone worked better, but some people did see some benefit from uh, vitamin C. Now, to give you an idea, it was 
a 92% improvement for people using hydroquinone versus a 62% improvement uh, for vitamin C. So presumably, if you were using higher levels, you might see more impact. And there was another study that looked at 25% use levels with a penetration enhancer, and that was shown to reduce melanin production. So on some level, yeah, vitamin C... Uh, probably when used right can help to lighten the skin is it going to tighten and brighten well you know that mostly depends on what else is in the formula and how the product is overall formulated but the bottom line is that well, vitamin c or ascorbic acid may be able to positively impact your skin if it's not irritating your skin but the effects are really highly dependent on how it's formulated, the amount of vitamin C they use, the packaging, and the other ingredients in the formula. I personally doubt that you're going to see significant results that are better than just using a standard moisturizer. But the reality is that we as consumers are not very good at noticing uh, improvements, uh, very subtle improvements. And when we're talking about the improvements that you're going to get from vitamin C on skin, they're subtle at best. All right, let's do one final audio question so you don't have to hear only my voice on this show. This one comes to us from Heidi. Hi, Beauty Brains. I'm wondering what the scoop is on using products packed in jars, the kind you dip your fingers into to use. I've read that certain products can lose their effectiveness once exposed to air, but aren't the products exposed to air once they're on your skin? I've also read that this is a good way to contaminate the product, and I'm questioning if that's all hype or if I really should avoid pointing my pinky into the pot. If so, is this important for facial products or for anything applied to the body? Thanks for sharing your knowledge in a way us non-scientists can easily understand. Thanks for the questions and the kind words, Heidi. I know there are a number of brands and gurus out there telling people that they should avoid tubs like this, and that it's, it's not bad advice, but it also may be a bit overblown. First, about product stability. As we've discussed earlier in the show, some ingredients like vitamin C do break down when they're exposed to air and light. So when you're using a tub or a jar with a wide opening, that will increase the amount of exposure and it could reduce the effectiveness of that active ingredient, an active ingredient like vitamin C. Now, for a lot of ingredients, it's not going to matter hyaluronic acid, peptide ceramides, these, these things don't really break down when exposed to air. But for vitamin C or other antioxidants, that they, they can break down. So I'm not sure the exposure levels will matter that much between, say, the wide mouth jar and a squeeze bottle. But if you're using an airtight pump, then, you know, there might be some difference here, some credence. Although you do raise a good point. Once you put the product on your skin, it's going to st start to oxidize anyway. I mean, ideally, it's penetrating the skin and it can start to have an effect on the skin. But yeah, a lot of it is going to be lost uh, to oxidation on the surface of your epidermis. So it's really hard to say if it matters that much. And it's also true that putting your fingers in the jars could increase the chances of contamination. Now, if you are using products that are properly preserved, this isn't as much of a problem. Companies 
will add enough preservative to make sure that some level of contamination by consumers is going to be acceptable. But if you're using a product that uh, makes a big deal about what they're not using in their preservatives, say they're paraben-free or claiming they have some sort of safe preservative system or preservative-free, geez, then I would actually be worried. Uh, just a tip, you should always be afraid of any product that makes claims about their preservative system and what they don't use. Those products, in my opinion, are microbial bombs just waiting to go off and waiting to spread diseases and use preservatives, people. <laughs> but I digress. So, uh, yes, all things being equal, jar products can have some negatives, and it doesn't matter whether it is a facial product or something for the body it will have the same level of impact, if there is any. Now, whether you notice the impact or not, that's going to be debatable. A well-preserved product is going to work fine from a jar. And if you don't have an active that's going to break down significantly, a, a jar is fine too. The reality is that most of the ingredients that make skin products work are not going to break down significantly due to air exposure. The advice to avoid jars in my opinion, is a bit overblown. All right, that brings us to the end of this solo show. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully Valerie or maybe Cerebellum will join me next time. If you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? That's going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And speaking of beauty questions, if you want to get your question answered, feel free to record it on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. We do love to answer the audio questions. Also, you can follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we also have a Facebook page. One more thing, the Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do it. This helps to keep the show ad-free and is really the best way to keep the financial bias out of anything that we have to say. So if you like what we do and want to see us keep doing it, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Thanks again for listening. I'm Perry Romanowski, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Kittens!